So good to have our choir back. Thankful for them. And I hope you're ready today because you're about to hear the best sermon ever in the history of the world. I'm kidding you not. I'm going on record right now. You're about to hear the best sermon you've ever heard because I'm not preaching it. (laughs) It's Jesus's sermon that I'm going to be sharing with you guys today. You know, probably in the course of human history, there's a a few dozen speeches that could be considered to be in contention with the title of the greatest speech of all time. But, But today we're going to be looking at the speech or the sermon that stands above all of those. It's a mountain of a speech. In fact, it's kind of known as the Sermon on the Mount. It's a sermon that Jesus preached on a mountainside. And Matthew recorded it for us in Matthew chapter 5 and 6 and 7. We're preaching a series through the book of Matthew. So if you have a Bible, hope you do, go ahead and land there today in Matthew chapter 5. And and, and seriously, we're going to read today all three of those chapters, because I want us to hear the sermon of Jesus at one time in in one setting. And it's important that we do that because I I want you to understand that this is the greatest sermon that's ever been given. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been given because of who's giving it. It's none other than Jesus himself, the Son of God, God in flesh. It's the greatest sermon that's ever been given because of who wrote this sermon. The writer of this sermon is none other than the Holy Spirit of God himself. And this is the greatest sermon that's ever been given because of the one that it's intended to bring honor and glory to, which is God the Father himself. There has never been another speech in all of the history of mankind that is more massively and epically important as this one that we're going to be looking at today. And certainly there's been some great speeches and great, great speech givers, you know, Washington and Lincoln and Roosevelt and Kennedy and King and Socrates and Cicero and Wilberforce and Gandhi. So many great sermons that were delivered, important speeches delivered by important men at important times. And and there's other great speeches that we find in the Bible from other great people, right? Like Joshua and Stephen and Paul. But all the important speeches given by all the important men about all the important things at all the important times in human history, the sum total of all them are mere babblings of toddlers compared to what we have in this speech, this sermon before us here today, because there's only one that has stepped out of heaven and sat down on a grassy hillside, a hillside that he himself created with just the sound of his voice. Only one who stepped out of heaven into our world that sin and Satan had broken. And he sat there 2,000 years ago in that region of Zebulun and Naphtali. And Jesus, the Son of God, God in flesh, he, he sat down. And don't miss that. That's a big deal because when a rabbi sits down, he's sending a message. When a rabbi sits down, he said, I'm about to speak with authority. This isn't like my disciples are walking with me and we're just casually talking. Jesus sat and that sends a message. The one with the greatest authority is now about to deliver a message. And I've been in the presence of a U.S. president delivering a speech. And man, that's a, that's a pretty great thing to, to get to experience. But I'm telling you, that is trivial. That's nothing compared to what it must have been like to be part of that crowd that day and that on that hillside hearing Jesus deliver this speech. This is the greatest speech or sermon of all time because of who delivered it. And it's the greatest sermon of all time because of what it's all about. 
In our generation, we've heard some great speeches. Some of you heard President Kennedy when, when he inspired us to go to the moon. But this is the speech given by the one who spoke the moon into existence. Dr. King delivered a great speech. He had a dream. But Jesus is talking about more than a new dream. He's talking about a new reality. Patrick Henry inspired 13 colonies to find courage. But Jesus is calling us and inviting us into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. This sermon on the mount, this speech of Jesus is the king of kings giving his kingdom manifesto. And, And there's almost a universal recognition, even by people who aren't followers of Jesus, people who don't even claim to be a Christian, there's really still kind of a universal recognition that this is a great speech, that that this is a great message. Some would say it's great because they would say Christianity, whether they adhere to it or not, Christianity has influenced history like no other movement. And they would point to this speech as the moment that maybe all of that began to kind of move forward in motion. They would say that it's simply a great piece of history. Some would look at this speech and they would say, well, Jesus is showing people, showing the world that there's a better way to live. And they would see this as simply a great piece of inspiration. But neither of those are what makes this the greatest speech or the greatest sermon of all time. Jesus' sermon is not about notching out an important place in history. Jesus' sermon is not about living more morally and trying to make the world a a better place. Uh, The Sermon on the Mount is the greatest message ever delivered, not because it's introducing uh, uh, an improvement to society, a way to make society better. He's introducing a whole new society. He's not simply trying to tell us how to make the world a better place. He's inviting us into a whole new world. Because this sermon is about the kingdom of heaven coming to earth and God inviting men and women and boys and girls to become citizens in his kingdom. Some mistakenly have taken this sermon to mean, listen, if you want to be a Christian, then you have to do these things. If you want to get into the kingdom, then you have to do all of these things. But Jesus is not saying in this sermon, do all these things so you can become a Christian. Jesus is saying in this sermon, you are a Christian, therefore you will do these things. There will be a change. There will be a difference. Some look to the Sermon on the Mount as rules to follow in life. That could not be more wrong. The principles we find in the Sermon on the Mount are not rules to follow, they are the results of faith. When a person turns, repents, and follows Jesus by faith, this is how he changes a life. This is what results. These are not rules to follow, these are results of faith. This is what he's getting at in this sermon Jesus is proclaiming, this is the change, this is the difference I will make in every single life. If they'll simply turn and repent and follow me by faith, these are the results that are going to follow from that. And look, this makes sense. If you were here last week, right, Matthew chapter 4, Jesus invited people to do two things, commanded, in fact, people to do two things. He said, repent and follow me. Remember that from last week? 
Now this makes sense when you connect the Sermon on the Mount to what we just heard Jesus say in chapter 4. He said, repent and follow me. Now chapter 5, chapter 6, and chapter 7 is Jesus saying, when you do that, this is the change I'm going to make. This is how your life is going to become different. That's the Sermon on the Mount. It's Jesus describing the results that happen in a person's life when they repent and they follow him by faith. That's what the whole sermon's about. It's describing what God does in a life that by his grace turns from self and sin, turns to Jesus and follows him by faith. Moment by moment. Step by step, even when our feet are still planted here on the earth. And so today I want to just, it's a challenge. I've been so intimidated all week by this sermon of Jesus. But I want to fly over the entire sermon today, three chapters. We're going to read it all. And I'm going to give you what I think are the, the main points of Jesus' sermon. And you're going to get frustrated probably at a few points. You're going to go, I wish he would stop there and explain that. I don't, I don't know what that means. And I'm not going to, but, but don't lose heart because the good news is we're, we're going to make some laps around this pool between now and Easter. I, I plan to take these seven points that I'm going to give you today, and Lord willing, they're going to become seven standalone sermons as we kind of dive a little bit deeper into the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to land that seventh and final one, Lord willing, on Easter Sunday morning. And if you're counting weeks, you're thinking, well, we have more than seven weeks to Easter. Yeah, but two of those I'm going to be in Israel, and I'm going to get to go to this mountain and share a little sermon there with some people myself. <laughs> That's going to be crazy. And then I'm going to come back in in time for Easter, and we're going to finish that thing up. And so I'm so excited, this journey that the Lord's going to lead us here on. So here's the question. If we do this, if we obey the command of Jesus in chapter 4, if we repent, if we turn to him, and if we follow him, then by faith, what's he going to do in our life? How's he going to make us different? And so here's how we're going to answer that question today. The difference that repentance and following Jesus by faith makes. We want to see the difference that repenting and following Jesus by faith. And, and, and I don't know what the verbiage on the screen is, but I edited my sermon last minute before I came up on the stage earlier and I added that following Jesus because I think it's important. I want to make sure you understand this is relationship language that we're using today. That's so important because what Jesus is describing in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 is when, when you have a relationship with me, you've repented, turned by faith, you're following me. We're walking together in a relationship with me. This is what I'm going to produce in your life. This is what God's going to do in a person's life. And the first one is this, repentance and following Jesus by faith produces different attitudes. Produces different attitudes. The, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, they were persistently pressuring people with all the externals, right? All the performance, just check the boxes. But Jesus goes deeper here. He goes to the heart. He goes to the attitude. He picks up the sermon in verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's a different attitude in the kingdom. 
He says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. That has to do with our attitude toward ourselves. A kingdom person is a person who is aware that spiritually I'm empty. Spiritually I'm in need. Spiritually I'm bankrupt. The source of what I need spiritually is not found in me. It's found outside of me. That's the attitude in a kingdom person. And then Jesus speaks about our attitudes of sin and brokenness. The attitude of a kingdom person about sin and brokenness is this. They mourn. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn. They're grieved by the brokenness. They're grieved by the sin. And Jesus says they will be comforted. And then Jesus says the attitude changes. Kingdom people are going to be humble and they're going to be meek. And they're going to have an appetite for the things of God. Verse 5, blessed are the humble for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. Different attitudes. Are you seeing this? This is an attitude change when you repent and you follow Jesus by faith. Totally different attitudes. And a kingdom person is going to have an attitude of mercy. But we don't see that in our world today. But Jesus says, in my kingdom, you do. In my people, you do. There's an attitude of mercy toward people who don't deserve mercy. Verse 7, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And then a kingdom person is going to continue to posture themselves in repentance and faith and following Jesus, and that's going to result in a purity in heart. He says, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. And and then when a person is seeing God, they know God, then they want to bring that same peace they have with God. They want to bring that same peace into all their other relationships. So he says in verse 9, blessed are the peacemakers. Different attitude in the kingdom, right? Different attitude. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the sons of God. But then Jesus says, but you need to know this kingdom people, the people that I change your attitude and you're going to be different from the rest of the world, you're going to be hated for that. You're going to be swimming upstream. You're going to be persecuted for that. And he says, verse 10, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. You're blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you because of me. But even when that happens to a kingdom person, their attitude's different. Even when it's hard, the attitude of a kingdom person is one of joy and one of gladness. Jesus says, verse 12, be glad. Different attitude, right? Be glad and rejoice because your reward is great in heaven, for that is how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Different attitudes. Can I ask you, how are you stacking up? As you look in the mirror of God's word, do you see the reflection of a kingdom person this morning? Do you see the reflection of somebody whose attitudes are completely different in your life from what we see around us in the world? Are you a kingdom person? What are we saying? The difference that repenting and following Jesus by faith, the difference that makes it produces different attitudes. Secondly, it produces a different purpose, a different purpose. Before a person turns and follows Jesus by faith, they're living for the wrong purposes, right? They're, they're living for the wrong things, but the purpose changes. Jesus makes a difference in our purpose for living when we repent and follow him. Verse 13, here's the purpose. You're the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. Here's your purpose, different purpose. You've repented, you're following Jesus by faith. You have the right purpose now. You're salt and you're the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand. And it gives light. That's your purpose. You give light to all who are in the house. In the same way, here's your purpose. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works. Here's your purpose. And give glory to your Father who is in heaven. 
is that you? Are you a kingdom person? Is that the, is that the purpose you're living your life with? Because Jesus says kingdom people, people who are repenting and following him by faith. And I'm not talking about one time you did that. I mean, it's the pattern of your life to repent and to follow Jesus by faith. They are salt. They are light. That's their purpose in this world. That's what they're embracing. Is that true of you today? As you look at your attitudes, you look at what you're embracing as your purpose. Are you a kingdom person or just a church person? That's a difference between the two. Or just a religious person. What's Jesus said so far? He said, when you repent and you follow me by faith, I'm going to make a difference in your attitude. And I'm going to make a difference in your purpose for living. Three, repentance and following Jesus by faith produces a different understanding. It was true of the crowd there in front of Jesus. It's true of the crowds in our world today that people who don't know Jesus, they have a mistaken idea about how a person's made right with God. They have a mistaken idea about who God is and forgiveness and salvation. There's this prevalent idea of thinking that's echoed through the history of time that says, uh, I got to earn God's favor, right? I got to do something to achieve it. I got to do something to deserve it. But Jesus says kingdom people have a totally different understanding about righteousness and the way to be right with God. Here's what Jesus says, verse 17. Don't think that I came to abolish the law. Don't don't think that I'm just pulling back the rules and going everybody's in. That's not what you're thinking. He says, don't think that way. Different way of understanding. Don't think I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or one stroke of a letter will pass away from the law until all things are accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commands and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless, watch, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is this masterful preacher, and he sort of leaves them hanging there. Because he just said, unless you got more righteousness than the professional religious people, you're not getting in. And he leaves them right there. Now, he's going to circle back around and give an answer to that later on. But right now, he wants them to feel like, "Uh uh-oh. Repentance and following Jesus by faith. What are we saying? It produces different attitudes. Is that true of you? It, It produces an embracing of a different purpose. Is that true of you? It embraces a different understanding of God and how to be made right with God. Number four, repentance and following Jesus by faith produces different standards produces different standards. Human standards always point to the externals, right? Just just meet expectations. Just don't break the law. Just follow the societal norms and expectations. It's all about the outside. But kingdom people live by a totally different set of standards. And what Jesus is about to do is he's about to give a handful of illustrations to tell us what he's talking about. There's a different standard now in his kingdom. When you repent, you follow Jesus by faith, your standards are going to be incredibly different. Watch. He says, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, do not murder. That was the standard. And whoever murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, every time you hear Jesus say, but I tell you, it's Jesus going, but a different standard's here now in my kingdom. 
You've heard, but I'm telling you there's a different standard now. When you repent and you follow me, different standard. But I tell you, everyone who is angry with his brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Whoever insults his brother or sister will be subject to the court. Whoever says you fool will be subject to hellfire. So if you're offering your gift on the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled with your brother or sister and then come and offer your gift. Reach a settlement quickly with your adversary while you're on the way with him to the court or your adversary will hand you over to the judge and the judge to the officer and you'll be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will never get out of there until you've paid the last penny. Another illustration, different standard. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. Jesus says, but I tell you, different standard in the kingdom. Everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. For it's better that you lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. It was also said, whoever divorces his wife must give her a written notice of divorce. That was the standard, but Jesus says, but I tell you, there's a different standard. Everyone who divorces his wife, except in the case of sexual immorality, causes her to commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Another illustration of the different standard. Again, you've heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath, but you must keep your oaths to the Lord. But I tell you, Jesus says, we're talking about truth. I got a different standard in my kingdom. I tell you, don't take an oath at all, either by heaven because it's God's throne or by the earth because it's his footstool or by Jerusalem because it's the city of the great king. Do not swear by your head because you cannot make a single hair white or black, but let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Anything more than this is from the evil one. Another illustration of different standard. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Jesus said, that was your standard of justice, but in my kingdom there's a different standard. But I tell you, don't resist an evildoer. On the contrary, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. As for the one who wants to sue you and take away your shirt, let him have your coat as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to the one who asks you and don't turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Different standard, verse 43. You've heard that it was said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy, but there's a different standard in the kingdom. He says, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your Father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers and sisters, what are you doing out of the ordinary? Don't even the Gentiles do the same? Now, some of you just heard Jesus go through this list and you're going, man, I wish he'd taught more. I wish he'd taught more about anger. I wish he'd taught more about adultery. I wish he'd taught more about divorce. I wish he'd taught more about oaths. I wish he'd taught more about justice. I need some further explanation. And listen, we could spend months on every single one of those topics. And lots of preachers do and lots of preachers have. But this one's not going to. Not in this sermon series because I don't think that's the point Jesus is making. This is not an exhaustive list that Jesus gave. He just grabbed some examples, some illustrations that there is a different standard. He's only using these illustrations to make his greater point, which is seen in verse 48. 
be perfect. Therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Jesus just said, that's the standard, the new standard, the different standard for kingdom people. Listen, he just said kingdom people don't look at all these topics, all these issues. Kingdom people don't get in debates about anger and murder and divorce and adultery and justice and truth-telling and all that. And, and, and they don't get in there to try to massage their way through it and, 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 and get a bunch of nuance there, no nuances in it, you know, and kind of say, okay, but, but what if this situation and, and, then, and what if and, and how about this and is, it, is this too much and is that not enough and is this too far and, and, and to try to sort of flesh it out in every situation. Jesus said, no, no, that's not, that's not the standard. The standard is be perfect. Be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Jesus is saying kingdom people, they set their sights in one direction and it's perfection. He said this, this is the kingdom. When you turn and repent, you don't try to nuance your way through all the junk, but you set your sight on perfection and the one who alone is perfect. And that's the different standard in his kingdom. And, and by the way, to live that way, if you hadn't figured it out, it's going to require a lot of repenting and following Jesus by faith. I'll preach this till I die, I suppose, because I got to hear it till I die. Nobody told me when I asked Jesus in my heart what I signed up for, what I signed up for, now I know what I signed up for, and I want you to know what you signed up for. You signed up to live the rest of your life repenting and following him by faith, repenting and following him by faith, repenting and following him by faith. So what's Jesus said so far? When you do that, chapter 4, he said, repent and follow me. When you repent and follow him by faith, he produces in us, he changes us. He produces in us different attitudes. He produces in us different purpose for living, different understanding, different standard. Number five, repentance and following Jesus by faith produces a different way of worshiping God. You worship God different in his kingdom. Chapter 6, verse 1. Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others to be seen by them. That's how religious folks operated back in the day. Still do. Jesus said, that's not us. In the kingdom, we worship God differently. He says, if you do that, you have no reward with your Father in heaven. Verse 2, so whenever you give to the poor, which is an act of worship, by the way, certainly was an act of worship in there. They'd pass by the poor on their way to church every time they went to church. Jesus says, so whenever you give to the poor, don't sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be applauded by people. I'm about to give to this poor person. Clangy, clangy. Jesus don't do that. This is a different way of worshiping in the kingdom. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you give to the poor, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And then he says, when you pray, he's still on the topic of different kind of worship, right? He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites because they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by people, posting it on the ground, right on the TikTok. And he says, truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you pray, go into your private room, shut your door and pray to your father who's in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, 
You're going to pray different, and the kingdom is different. And when you pray, don't babble like the Gentiles, since they imagine they'll be heard for their many words. Don't be like them, because your Father knows the things you need before you ask Him. It's different. In the kingdom, you have a Father, not a genie in a bottle. You have a Father. And so Jesus says, this is how you pray to a Father, the Father. Therefore, you should pray like this, our Father in heaven, your name be honored as holy. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their offenses, your heavenly Father will forgive you as well. But if you don't forgive others, your Father will not forgive your offenses. And then he talks about fasting. Remember, he's still talking about worship. Kingdom people, their worship's different. So when you fast, don't be gloomy like the hypocrites. Look at me, I'm dying of starvation. I'm melting away. So weak. He says, don't do that. He says, they disfigure their faces so that their fasting is obvious to people. Truly, I tell you, they have their reward. But when you fast, different standard, different way of worshiping in the kingdom. When you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face. That's, that's the way of saying, look good. Look normal. Why? So that your fasting isn't obvious to others, but only to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Are you getting what Jesus is saying in this sermon? Kingdom people, turn, repent, and follow Jesus by faith. And then within that relationship with Jesus, Jesus produces great change. He gives us different attitudes and a different purpose for living, a different understanding of righteousness, a different standard for living. He gives us a different way of worshiping God. And then number six, he gives us different desires. He changes the way the cockpit operates in our life. The desires are completely changed. Repentance and following Jesus by faith produces different desires. Look at verse 19, chapter six. He says, don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. Different desires now. Store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves don't break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What's he talking about? He's talking about what we desire, right? Kingdom people have different desires. And then he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eye is healthy, in other words, if your eye is desiring the right things, your life's going to be healthy. But if your, your eye is desiring things that are not right, they're not consistent with the kingdom of God. It's going downhill. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. So if the light within you is darkness, how deep is that darkness? What's he talking about? He's talking about different desires in kingdom people. In the kingdom of God, you can't serve two masters. Since either he'll hate one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. What's he talking about? He's talking about kingdom people have different desires. Therefore, I tell you, he says, don't worry about your life. What you will eat or what you'll drink or about your body, what you'll wear. Isn't life more than food and the body more than clothing? Different desires. You're not all about that stuff anymore. Consider the birds of the sky. They don't sow or reap or gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you worth more than they? Can any of you add one moment to his lifespan by worrying? And why do you worry about clothes? Observe how the wildflowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin thread. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was adorned like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the furnace tomorrow, won't he do much more for you, you of little faith? You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to obsess with that. That doesn't have to be your desire anymore. So don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles eagerly seek all those things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. And then Jesus says, your desires in the kingdom are going to be different. 
You're not going to be worried about all that stuff. You know what your desire is going to be for? The kingdom and the king. Next verse. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be provided for you. Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. He changes our desires. And there's one more thing he's speaking to here, I think, is that we all kind of have this desire sometimes to feel superior to the people around us. It's not just about desiring stuff, but we want to desire superiority. I'm better than somebody else. So he says in chapter 7, verse 1, don't judge, that you won't be judged. For you'll be judged by the same standard with which you judge others. And you'll be measured by the same measure you use. Why do you look at the splinter in your brother's eye, but don't notice the beam of wood in your own eye? Kingdom people desire to be right with God first. Desires are different. How can you say to your brother, let me take the splinter out of your eye and look, there's a beam of wood, a whole beam of wood in your eye. Hypocrite, first take the beam of wood out of your eye and then you will clearly see to take the splinter out of your brother's eye. Don't give what's holy to dogs or toss your pearls before pigs or they will trample them under their feet. Turn and tear you to pieces. What's he saying? Well, my people, you become my people by turning and trusting and walking and following me by faith. He'll produce different attitudes, different purpose for living, different understanding of righteousness, different standard for living, different way of worshiping God, different desires in your hearts. Jesus is saying, this is how kingdom people live. You want to know how people who turn and repent and follow Jesus by faith live? You don't know what their lives look like? You know what the life of a kingdom person looks like? We just read it, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. And Mark, that's got me wondering, are we kingdom people? If, if that describes the life of a person who is repenting and following Jesus by faith, if that is describing the life of a person whose pattern is to consistently turn and follow Jesus by faith. Are any of us doing that? Are, are our attitudes really different? Is the purpose we're embracing for life really different? Is our understanding of righteousness any different than anybody else's? Is our standard for how we live different from anybody else's? Are we just doing what, you know, just check the boxes, just keeping up appearances? Are our desires any different? Is the way we worship God any different? Are we, are we really kingdom people? And if you're feeling a tinge of tension with that question, good. Me too. And I think that's because Jesus wrote this sermon with this moment in mind. He wrote this sermon to bring us to this place that we feel this tension as we look in the mirror of God's word and we have to think a minute. We have to wrestle with the significance of this. He wants to bring every listener to this place where we go, Jesus, that's not me. It's not me. I want that to be me. 
I, I, I want to be, be a kingdom person. I want my life to be different. I, I want that to be me. Jesus wants to bring that out in us so that today we fall at his feet and go, Jesus, I need you. Because I, I've been checking the boxes and I've been doing the stuff and I'm still not that way. So I'm at the end of myself today and I'm at the beginning of you. I'm at your feet and I'm saying, Jesus, would you do this in my life here today? What do I need to do? Jesus, what do I need to do? And Jesus has his seventh point of his sermon and he says, here's what you need to do. Here's the invitation. Jesus, like all good preachers, has an invitation at the end of his sermon. He says, here's how you get in the kingdom. And here's how you live in the kingdom. And here's how you become different in the kingdom. How, Jesus, verse 7, ask. Ask. Seek. You'll find. Knock. The door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And the one who knocks, the door will be open to you. Jesus is just saying, listen, if you ask, if you want me in this kingdom and you want to be different, I'll give it to you. But I'll give it to you not because you're that good. I'll give it to you because I'm that good, he says. Because if your earthly fathers would give you the good things you asked for, how much more? If you're asking me, your heavenly father, for the kingdom, how much more do you think I'm going to jump to give that to you? Look at what he says, verse 9. Who among you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good things to those who ask him, Jesus, I want in. I want to be changed. I want to be different. He goes, well, ask me. Seek after me. Knock. You don't think I'm going to give that to you? Jesus wants us to know that we don't deserve him. We're undeserving of him and of his kingdom, but if we ask it, he will give it. And then, by the way, he reminds us that he gives us grace so that we get to turn around and give that to others. Verse 11. Verse 12, he says, therefore, whatever you want others to do for you, do also the same for them, for this is the law and the prophets. And so Jesus is anticipating, I think, here. He's Jesus, so he probably knows their minds, right? He does. I think he perceives that somebody's going, okay, I hear what you're saying. Ask, seek, knock. But, but, but tell me, how do I get there? Right? I mean, how do I get in? I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm not, but I don't, how do I get in there? And Jesus says, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate. And I can just see him like, what gate? He says, for the gate is wide and the road is broad that leads to destruction. And there are many who go through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life and few find it. And they don't see a gate. But later John will quote Jesus when Jesus says, I am the gate that leads to eternal life. And then Jesus warns us about people who want to lead us from the gate. Jesus warns us about people who want to lead us astray, about people who would continue to encourage us to go the wrong way. And he says, be on your guard, verse 15, against false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravaging wolves. You'll recognize them by their fruit. 
Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? No. In the same way, every good tree produces good fruit, but a bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit. Neither can a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that doesn't produce good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So you'll recognize them by the fruit. God's saying, hey, heads up. There's going to be people that want to take you down the wrong path. You need to watch out. Look at the fruit. But then he's warning us, but you need to check out your own fruit too along the way. Verse 21, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only one who does the will of my Father in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, didn't we prophesy in your name and drive out demons in your name and do many miracles in your name? And we joined the church and went to membership matters and went to a life group and listened to Brother Joel yell at us 45 minutes every Sunday. And then I will announce to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you lawbreakers. And then to close, Jesus says, now it's your choice. You can hear these words that I'm telling you today and you can receive them like a wise man. Or you can stiff arm me and these words of mine and miss the kingdom. He says, verse 24, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and acts on them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the rivers rose, and the winds blew. There's still storms in the kingdom, everybody. But those who live in the kingdom don't collapse. That house didn't collapse because its foundation was on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and doesn't act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, the rivers rose, the winds blew and pounded that house, and it collapsed, and it collapsed with a great crash. And that's how Jesus ends his sermon. You have a choice. The kingdom or the crash. The kingdom or the crash. And most are choosing the crash. But he's offering us the kingdom and the king with it. And if you're paying attention, okay, first of all, if you're not paying attention to Jesus' sermon today, he's going to get you, all right? But if you're paying attention to the sermon of Jesus today that I just read to you, and you're saying, I could never do that. Pastor Joel, I'm so far from what he describes in that. I, I've been at this thing for a long time, and I'm not even, I'm not there. I, Pastor, I, I could never be that kind of person. If that thought is crossing your mind right now, it's exactly what Jesus wanted to have happen. Because it's at this very moment that Jesus wanted people to fall before him and say, if you don't do this for me, it ain't going to get done. I'm turning and I'm repenting and I'm following you by faith. Because that's the only way into your kingdom. That's the only way to live in your kingdom. That's the only way to live like a kingdom person. Jesus, I'm at the end of me and I'm at the beginning of you. It's exactly the response he's aiming for. He wants to live in you and through you. Paul said, it's no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life that I live in this body, I live by faith. In the Son of God who loved me and who gave himself for me. 
This is Jesus inviting you into his kingdom. Jesus inviting you to be different. And he's saying to you, I want to move into your neighborhood. And I want to walk your streets. And I want to shop in your stores. And I want to eat in your house. And I want to sit around your fire pit. My kingdom come. My will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. And this is not a moment to bow up and say, I can do it. This is a moment to bow down and say, I can't do it. But Jesus, you can. And here's a life that you can do it through. So God, we recognize our need today. God, if nothing else happens today, may we recognize our desperate need for you. This is a mountain of a sermon and mountain of standards that are unscalable by any human effort or willpower or behavior modification. It is beyond human reach. But God, you reached out of heaven down to the bottom of this mountain and by grace alone, through faith alone and Christ alone, you pick up sinners like me out of the muck and the madness and the mess and you change us moment by moment and all you ask us to do is every time our eyes drift away from you to turn and repent and to get our eyes back on you and just keep following you and just keep following you by faith, by faith, to follow you every single moment of every single day. And when we don't, to repent and to turn and get our eyes back on you and to keep following you by faith every single moment of every single day. And you will complete the good work that you've begun. God, I pray for those today that the work needs to begin today that they would repent and follow you in faith today for the very first time. But God, I pray for those of us who, who maybe we have forgotten that the way we came to you is the way we are supposed to continue to live in you by repentance and following you by faith. I don't know of a person in this room starting with me that isn't in great need today to repent turn from self and sin eyes on Jesus and follow him by faith in this life that we're in a life that he wants to live in and through he's the king our job is to simply Surrender to the king. Let him have this territory of your life and let him extend his kingdom from your territory into the world beyond. We need you, Jesus. We need you. May we be at the end of ourselves today. May we be at the beginning of you and your mercy and grace and power. In Jesus' name, let's stand. Let's worship God. Let's call out to the Lord. We need him. Today's a good day to give up on yourself. Today's a good day to take hold of Jesus.